0: That Triathlon Show 372. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by ScientificTriathlon.com. I'm host Michael, and on today's episode, we have the return of QA episodes. And the topic for this one is season planning, goal setting, and personal limiters. So I talked about this a little bit in last week's episodes with wanting to reintroduce uh, some QA episodes, uh, among other new types of episodes and new old types of episodes, basically getting a bit more variety and not having just interview, uh, interview episodes every single week. And uh, this is the first one that I'm creating. So I put out a call for questions or a request for questions, on the newsletter and on the scientific triathlon instagram so if you follow uh, follow the newsletter or follow us on instagram then you might have seen them and you will have had the chance to uh, to ask questions about these topics that that i'm going to talk about today so season planning goal setting and personal limiters and i will do the same for q a episodes going forward so please follow us on the newsletter and on instagram and uh, then you will be able to get your questions answered uh, you can also email me at any time so for example the next q a the next q a that i do will be on swim training maybe in a month or a month and a half or so from now so so you can already start sending in your questions uh, on email for that if you want to Uh, one thing that i want to uh, comment on here regarding season planning is that uh, when i wrote season planning i do not mean periodization so pure training and training periodization questions where uh, i did not include in this QA. would see some planning i mean things like how many races can you do in a season when should you place those races and so on and so forth not when should you do your vo2 max block and when should you do your threshold block i uh, hope that that makes sense but that's that's how i kind of thought about these topics and how i think that they go quite well together when you're planning your season at a very high level not getting into the nitty-gritty of uh, of training per se but before we get into the questions and answers let's thank our sponsors form the form smart film goggles give you unprecedented real-time feedback in your sim training through a display on the goggle lens so you can see every split and stay on pace you can keep track of your stroke rate and you can use heart rate through integration with polar heart rate monitors. All of this helps you execute your swim workouts more optimally with better pacing within the intervals and from interval to interval and you can have better intensity control. You also get access to in-depth post-swim analysis in the app where you can see metrics like distance per stroke and the app syncs uh, your workouts seamlessly to for example training peaks, trava and today's plan. The form app also has a vast library of workouts and training plans, or you can build your own guided workouts. Get 15% off the goggles with the code TTS15 on formswim.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Senate. The Sen8 Indoor Swim Trainer is a unique trial and swim trainer that allows you to improve technique, power, and swim training consistency. It is a perfect tool to complement your pool and open water swimming, as it allows you to do very specific power and technique work, including working on your catch and your core activation, and it makes it easier to stay consistent even when you can't go to the pool. You can even use it to do activation work before a pool or open water swim or you can use it to do swim bike brick workouts more easily. You can try the senate risk-free for up to 30 days so if you don't love it just send it back and you can get a special TTS bundle including the swim bench and a bunch of senate training plans and on-demand workouts on sen 8 slash TTS. Now let's dive into today's Q&A. So the first question for today is how to set goals for races where both time and result depends on outside factors and uh, in parentheses the person asking uh, writes that he's focused on 7.3 racing. So outside factors are always present but it doesn't mean that your time or results are completely unpredictable or random weather is one outside factor that can vary even on the same race course from one year to another with different heat and wind conditions being big factors that can can impact your time but usually these weather variations would result in a variance in time of minutes rather than tens of minutes over the seventy-three distance, even if it feels like, oh, oh my God, it's so windy this year, but it's not necessarily going to add a ton of time to your split anyway. And of course, the same would go for shorter races and the longer the race, the more time you would be looking to add for variations in weather, including wind and heat. The results in terms of your position in the race or in your age group will depend on who shows up naturally. But this strength of field is not generally something that varies wildly in the same race from one year to another. So you can research uh, the results of the race you're targeting from previous years and get a pretty good idea of the strength of the field of the race. If it's a race where you have any chance of knowing the people that have raced previously, then it makes it even uh, better in terms of you being able to see how you might have uh, been stacking up in previous years if you had participated um but let's uh let's cover the time goals first if you if you have time goals and you want to know okay how can you set a time goal when when there are outside factors that you can't control so first of all if you have done the race before then the result in that race can be used as your baseline for a time goal you know that you have done that before and all else being equal the same fitness level the same conditions you might be able to do the same time again uh, most likely that's maybe stating the obvious but uh, but that can then be used to to work to work out okay well what if i manage to manage to improve my my ftp on my bike by 20 watts what does that mean for my time or what if i manage to take my threshold on the run uh, to improve it by 10 seconds per kilometer or 15 seconds per mile what does that mean that mean for my time and you can start to to play with improvements that you might make that you think are realistic considering where you are now and the time that you have uh, available to train and so on Uh, so so in terms of time goals if you have done the race before that puts you in a in a position where you can really be quite specific with the goal that you can set and again as i said before weather does play a role but for the three distance not necessarily as much as we might think unless we're talking about really really extreme weather variations which i don't think is super common to see uh, for for races even though it does of course happen Uh, if you haven't done the race before then you can study the results of your target race from previous years and you can use those results to see what might be realistic for you and the way to do that is to see analyze your own results in various races that you've done so let's say you've done uh, three or four segment threes this year for argument's sake check where you place in as a percentile of the entire field or in your age group if if they are big races so let's say they are big races big ironman segment three races or challenge races and you have a lot of people in your age group and you have usually finished in the 45th to 55th percentile of your age group so that means that uh, roughly in the middle, in the middle of your, of your age group. Then let's, let's look at the results of the race that you're targeting and see, well, what does that mean for this race that I'm targeting? What would 45% or the 45th percentile in this race mean for me or what would it have meant the last time the race was run or what would the 55th percentile have meant, have meant for me the last time the race was run so you can check okay it's likely that my time will be between uh, between these two uh, in this range basically so that is a really good way of going about things checking at your typical percentiles in races and then transferring that percentile into a time goal based on past results of your target race now in terms of result goals so by that i mean position in the race or position in your age group let's say you're, you might want to place top 10 in your age group you can analyze where you typically finish again uh, as a percentile of the field or your age group and then you can set your goal to improve on that for the same tier of race. Now what do I mean by that? Well, if you compare a regular Man uh, seven, Ironman 703 for example to the 703 World Championships, that's not the same tier of uh, of race. That's comparing apples to oranges. But if we're talking about one regular 3 to another regular 3, then yeah, I think that's the same tier of race. They are of course there are some differences between countries, between continents, but uh but you can kind of you you can account for that to some extent. And to some extent, these differences aren't as big as to make a huge difference. So if you say, again, you, you have been finishing between the 45th and the 55th percentile, in In your races this past year, then you could set a goal to well this year I want to break into the top thirty three percent and be in the in the top one third of my age group. That could be a good goal to set, and then time doesn't matter necessarily as much as the the position, but you're definitely seeing that even if you're doing different races that have different courses and different weather conditions and your times might not be improving, you can see that you're improving just based on your position in your age group age group percentile wise. Uh, there are some tools that i would recommend using for this kind of research and goal setting so obviously the race website including course information and uh, results from past years obstry.com i recommended this tool before it's a great website to do this kind of research on races Uh, the only downside is that it only pulls data from ironman branded races uh, but uh, it is really good if those are the races that you do race i use the premium version of obstry and i think it's well worth it i have no affiliation i just love it uh, as a tool Uh, strava is also good, especially I use it to see the actual distance of the swim bike and run legs of a race. When you look at a few people that participated in the race, then you can see okay, well, the run was actually 20 and a half kilometers, not 21 and 21.1 kilometers. You can also use it to, especially on the bike leg, to see, well there were the top five cyclists, for example, all rode, let's say, two ten, and what was the power that they held? You can check those kinds of things. Most big races, like an Ironman or a challenge race, will get a bike segment created for the bike leg, so you can so you can check that quite easily and again with a premium subscription this is not something that i have for strava to be honest i used a free subscription to do the research that i do um, but i think with a premium subscription you can get a little bit more granular with uh, with checking the segments and stuff you can get bigger you can get by year segmentation for example and those sorts of things whereas i think at a free version you only have the all-time results but either way strava is a good tool uh, for for these kinds of things and of course something like best bike split where you can put in a power and and you can pull a race course and see well given a certain cda which you would need to estimate from maybe from a past race and you can do that within best Buy split then you can see well what would my a certain power translate to in terms of time for my target race so yeah those would be the things that i would suggest uh hope that your goal setting goes well Next question, how to establish limiters with field tests? Uh, so limiters here, just to uh, really briefly define that, it's not the same as weakness. A limiter is something that is holding you back in some way. So you could have a weakness in your sprinting ability as a cyclist or as a runner, but as a triathlete, that has no impact on your finishing position Especially if you're doing, doing, you're an age group athlete or you're doing long distance triathlon. If, of course, if you're doing, if you're an elite world class athlete and you're doing sprint and Olympic distance, yeah, your running sprint power or sprint, sprinting speed would potentially be, be important for you. But for most people, for most triathletes, that is not the case. So, so that's a weakness. It's not a limiter, but a limiter might be that, uh, you, well your run is much weaker compared to your swim and your bike so that is kind of what's holding you back at the moment more so than your swim and your bike so it's it's not difficult but just to to explain the difference between a weakness and a limiter so how can you establish limiters with field tests well uh, the first is to do tests of time trials of different durations so basically a critical power critical speed test what i tend to prescribe these days uh In terms of cycling, I prescribe a 20-second test, a three-minute test, and a 20-minute test. And in terms of swimming, I prescribe a 100-meter, 400-meter, and 1,900-meter. Swimming, yeah, you you might actually benefit from doing something like a 25-meter. And those can obviously be done in yards as well as meters. It doesn't really matter. It's the variation in distances that matters. So so this can give you a really good idea of your power duration or speed duration profile and where you're lacking. Uh, I didn't say anything about running because... because i don't really prescribe testing for running as much i might it might be more lab testing or just using races is what i would prefer so using a park run maybe even a park run and a half marathon that kind of thing so five kilometer and and half marathon or or five kilometer and ten kilometer uh, that's that's a good starting point to see how yeah a five kilometer and ten kilometer can already tell you something about how you stack up in terms of the speed edge of the spectrum versus endurance edge i mean both of those are endurance events obviously but where you're lacking more let's say so you that's that's the main one to do uh, time trials of different durations Uh, the other one would be you could do tests before and after a certain amount of work or, or time so for example you could do a time trial before and after two hours of riding at an endurance power or even one and a half hours at race effort three race effort or ironman race effort to assess your fatigue resistance so maybe do a, a 15 minute time trial before and uh, that would be done on one day and then uh, as, as in a fresh state and then on the second day you could do a, a 15 minute time trial after let's say two hours of endurance riding and and see how endurance riding impacts your fatigue resistance or the more specific test would be to do race pace so one and a half hours of race pace and see how that impacts your uh, your uh, time trial ability over what did i say 15 minutes so those are examples there are many ways that you can do that but but that would be one way to establish uh limiters a fatigue resistance, resistance test it's not something that i use too much or uh, well, I have, have I used that, but it's not something I use much, to be honest, because I think that you can see that quite well through standardized workouts as well. Uh, so that brings me to the next point, which is to use standardized, standardized workouts. So let's take a typical threshold workout, which might be fa- five times 10 minutes at 90% of critical power with two to three minute recoveries. If you really struggle with that kind of workout, then it could be a sign that you're limited on the endurance side of things. Uh, whereas if, on the other hand, uh, you do that with no problem whatsoever, but as soon as you have to start riding with more variability, like a race on rolling terrain, and you just struggle to increase your power up those short, punchy climbs, then that can be a sign on needing to work more on the top end. But uh, this is where you need to know your goals and know the race demands for your goals. So for a flat course, for example, if you're not racing at the front of the race with surges and group dynamics, then yeah you might be bad at that kind of top end stuff but it's not going to be a limiter for you so again remember that a limiter is not the same as a weakness so you always need to to relate it to what is your goal and what is your goal event a lot of these examples mentioned here now were bike-based but obviously you can take the same principles and apply them to swimming or running but one thing that i should mention is that if your goal is triathlon then the true litmus test is always in the form of a triathlon in establishing your limiters. And as we are at the beginning of 2023, it would be a good time now to review your 2022 races. So think about how they went and what stopped you from going faster. You can do that starting at an overall uh, kind of bird's eye view level and then break it down into each individual discipline and also transitions. And maybe you find that you consistently underperform on the run versus what you think that you should do. Then you can do all of the field tests that you like in terms of running, but maybe that won't help you find what goes wrong in a race. Maybe it won't really identify any limiter just by doing testing, but you might really need to sit down and review your races and think about okay, running was actually a limiter for me. And then you can start to analyze why was it a limiter for me? Is it a pacing issue? Is it a nutrition or hydration issue? Is it a biomechanical issue, maybe related to running after riding hard in a TT position? Or is it something else? Uh, It could be something that is uh, possible to test or it could be very difficult to test. But if you do have a hypothesis, then you can design some kind of new test to, to test it out. Uh, that might be a more unconventional and less standardized than your typical field tests but but that's uh, i think the most important one in terms of establishing limiters uh, not just using field tests but also just analyzing your races that you have done if you see the races a field test then i guess it, it all falls in the same category of using field tests to establish establish limiters so hope hope that this helps Now the next question is uh, adjusting your goals if you hit them early or you fall behind. I'll tackle this one quite quickly because it's not too difficult really or too involved, too detailed. If you hit them early, then just set a new goal uh, earlier than you thought that you might have to. That's uh, that's actually absolutely an, an amazing thing so do remember to celebrate the the one goal that you hit first and don't just rush on the next one because it is a real thing to constantly be looking to the next goal the next milestone and never being satisfied and uh, never taking the time to celebrate so so you do want to do that uh, but yeah when you hit the goal early then celebrate and set a new one if you fall behind that's not necessarily a bad thing you can in many cases you should just keep going but think about it analyze whether you need to change the approach and how you should change the approach to maximize your chances of moving forward towards that goal but there are definitely cases where circumstances have changed and it becomes very clear that, well, I just won't be able to hit that goal. Then just don't be afraid to scrap it and set a new one, a different one. You don't want to keep banging your head against the wall if you're just not going to hit a certain goal. You you need to accept reality and maybe accept the changing circumstances and uh, be flexible when, when it comes to that. The next question is how to factor in current injuries or niggles that may worsen. And I guess this is factor, factor this into the goal setting and season planning. Uh, so that is the perspective that I take. And I would say that with injuries that have been bothering you and have been affecting you for quite some time. So it's not a minor niggle, but it's something more substantial. I would always always set getting healthy as the main goal to focus on right now. Uh, You can still have some other goals in the background but I would make sure to set them lower rather than higher not be over ambitious with them. So maybe instead of saying I want to finish an Ironman in sub 10 hours maybe you could uh, set your goal to be I want to be able to train and complete the Ironman injury free. So it's the question though it is a tricky one and there are a lot of depends in this so uh, this is one where I would definitely be able to go into more detail with uh, with an athlete I coach, for example, somebody that I know really well and know all the circumstances and all the context. Uh, it does depend a lot on what the injury is, how long standing and serious it is. But uh, the point that I would say that always holds is to make sure that your number one goal is getting healthy first and foremost. And following that, actually, make sure that you then set a goal or also set a goal of having a process to keep you (laughs) injury-free once you get healthy so so that you don't have a recurrence of the injury. The next question is, how would you change the training uh, between a sprint uh, triathlete versus an Ironman triathlete? So at first I thought that this question isn't really within the scope of today's topic but then uh, I uh, came to think that well actually maybe it's from the perspective of analyzing limiters rather than a pure training question so that's how I will answer it uh, in terms of yeah how does the training change versus a sprint traffic versus an Ironman traffic, but really looking at what are the limiters and for in terms of the race demands for these different events so so we have to start by looking at the race demands for a sprint triathlon versus a full distance triathlon and you should always look at this from your individual level because it is different if you're doing a sprint triathlon in an hour 45 versus 50 minutes But for this example, I'm just going to take some typical elite male finishing times or world-class male finishing times. Uh, So we're comparing a race that takes 15 minutes with one that takes seven and a half hours. And that already tells us a lot about what kind of intensities and durations that we might need to focus on. Uh, We would also look at the influence of draft legal versus non-draft racing and this is assuming that sprint is draft legal both in terms of the race demands with variable power output the skill requirements of being able to ride in a pack and and being able to take corners really well even riding on different bikes then we can zoom in on each individual discipline and see how the requirements differ a couple of really important things to consider is that the, the swim and the transitions are much longer relative to the whole event in a sprint race compared to an Ironman. So we need to account for that. At the elite level, this doesn't necessarily mean that there's a big difference in how important the swim and transitions are in an Ironman versus sprint distance. Because of the way that, the way that the race dynamics play out, the swim would still be very important and the transition would still, transitions would still be very important. But for amateurs, the relative time in each discipline uh, definitely impacts how you should prioritize them. So you should prioritize them more if they take a longer time relative to the event duration the final big point to look at would be nutrition and obviously in sprint distance at the elite level especially you might have some sports drink on the bike but that's about it whereas iron iron man is often jokingly described as an eating contest contest so there are huge differences now when you have analyzed the demands of these events which we just did you need to look at where you stand in relation to these demands and this is again individual for your level and your goals Uh, if you for example have a weakness in sustained power on the bike you might get away with it in a draft legal sprint distance as long as your skills are good and you're able to accelerate out of corners you don't necessarily need to be able to put out put out strong sustained power whereas in an ironman this weakness will undoubtedly be a limiter so you need to figure out how to address it another example would be if you swim first pack in a draft legal sprint triathlon but you consistently lose the pack by being too slow in transition it doesn't matter how much you think your run is a weakness or your bike is a weakness and you need to work on those your limiter right now is the fact that you basically get dropped from the race or at least the race is no longer in your own hands due to the fact that you're limited by not being quick enough in transition so you're no longer in the first pack and you're relying on a second pack forming and being able to work together and catch the the front pack which is not always going to happen and depending on where you're racing and so on it might never happen so practice transitions to solve this limiter then you can worry about what comes next once you have gotten that one step further into the race so in summary you should analyze the demands of the event and analyze where you stand relative to these demands and then you figure out what your biggest limiter is and prioritize that as the number one thing to work on and that applies to any kind of question about how would you train as a half distance triathlete versus an olympic distance triathlete or any any questions like that or a skier versus triathlete you can apply it to anything in in my that that's how i would apply how, how i would start to think about what what do we need to do to improve performance towards a certain uh, endurance event The next question is how to assess which limiter to work on and if a block has been productive without testing 24-7. So how to assess which limiter to work on is basically what I answered in that previous question. Uh, Analyzing the demands of the event, where you stand relative to them, and then figure out which one is your biggest limiter. Often this is quite clear which one is your biggest, I mean, but in some cases you may have two different limiters and you can't really choose between them as they seem equally limiting because, for example, if you're a good swimmer but you lose ground consistently through the bike and the run, how how do you know which one to prioritize? In these cases, all else being equal, I would first look at if race dynamics are of matter or not for the athlete. So if you race at the pointy end of the overall age group field, then race dynamics do matter. And if you race pro, then of course they matter a lot. So when race dynamics matter, you would almost always want to work on the limiters in chronological order to make sure that you stay in the race as long as possible. Because if you stay in the ra- race, as long as you stay in the race, you have a chance. But when you're when you're no longer in the race, then then you're out of a chance. So if you could choose between bike and run, then choose the bike so that you're still in the race at the start of the run if you can choose between swim and bike or swim and run then choose swim so that you're still in the race heading out on the bike if you're the majority of people and you're just looking to race at your level set personal bests or place higher in your age group uh, but you're not at the overall front end of the field then triathlon is pretty much an individual time trial And in many cases, I would still prioritize the limiters chronologically quite often because what you do earlier impacts what you can do later. So if you get stronger on the bike, that might also positively impact your run uh, more so than the other way around. However, the difference compared to the athletes for whom race dynamics do matter is that i maybe wouldn't prioritize the shorter swim ahead of the longer bike and run again this depends a bit on the race distance maybe a bit different in a sprint distance or an olympic distance race but in a half and full distance race where the swim swim is shorter relative to the entire race then uh, it might not i might prioritize the bike and the run ahead of it uh so that's uh yeah, that that covers how to assess which limiter to work on. Now, how to determine if a block has been productive without testing 24-7. So you can design some pretty fun and specific, let's call them workouts rather than tests, that don't have to feel like soul-draining affairs when you're working on a specific limiter Uh, it can it can be basically a hard workout that is specific to what you're working on uh, and uh, and assessing that limiter and you do that workout at the beginning and at the end of the training block and you compare the results Uh, or you can also have a standardized workout that you repeat every week and measure your progress for example if your limiter is sustained bike power and that's what you're prioritizing or one of your priorities right now. Let's take that example that I mentioned earlier with five times 10 minutes at 90% of critical power. And you do this workout once per week. Uh, Then maybe you add one to two minutes per week to each interval. So at the end of the block, you're doing five times 15 minutes uh, or something similar. If you can do that and you're um, not more wrecked, maybe you're even less wrecked than, than you were at the starter block doing 5 times 10 minutes, then that's a really good sign that the block has been productive. Of course, you don't get as quantitative measures of improvement as if you do actual time trials, but you can definitely feel whether, you're, whether something is productive or not by doing standardized workouts like this or some specific pre- and post-workout slash tests that are not necessarily all-out time trials. The next question is uh, progress metrics slash measures. What should we track as interim measures? The way I interpret this question is from a goal-setting perspective. So what progress metrics should we track on the way to our main goals? Before we discuss this, however, I want to say that it's very common to overestimate things that we can measure and underestimate things that we cannot measure. So for example, how do you measure your mental game in a race or in training for that matter? It's very difficult, if not impossible, to measure, but it doesn't mean it's any less important. So when we decide to measure things, We need to make sure that we measure things that actually matter, and we don't measure things just because they can be measured. And we also need to make sure that we pay as much attention to important things that we need to improve, even if they cannot be measured, like mental skills. But to answer the question on what metrics to track, it really depends on what you're trying to improve. So if we're talking about season planning, where your goal might be a race 8, 9 or 10 months from now, then obviously you might be trying to improve lots of things like, for example, your swim, bike, run and transition times, all of it. So you end up with a lot of metrics if you have at least one for everything you try to improve. But I think to me, the most important one is to track performance in key workouts. And that goes for any discipline, uh, key workouts that are repeated throughout the year, Whether we're talking sprint or full distance triathlon, for example, I think that threshold workouts have a lot of relevance. So as a coach, I tend to prescribe them quite frequently in all three disciplines. And uh, I would then keep track of how an athlete's performance uh, progresses in these workouts. Of course, I keep track of the progress in other types of workouts as well. But the threshold workouts, I think, are more relevant to race performance than something higher intensity like vo2 max workouts and compared to something lower intensity like tempo workouts uh the issue with tempo workouts is that i would more often prescribe them not quite as standardized uh, so than as threshold workouts so there would be a bit more extrapolation needed that's the the only issue with them so i basically think that i can get the clearest least noisy data in terms of workout progression by looking at threshold workouts so so i would keep track of that as a key metric but for you it might be different this this comes back to how your training maybe your training is very polarized then it would make sense to track the performance in your high intensity workouts of course so i'm not saying here that threshold workouts is the be all end all and you need to track them this is just an example of just tracking your progress in key workouts in general and there will be workouts that i'm sure you're doing similarly and they repeat throughout the year so so those would be key key metrics to track the the other thing that i would mention is that races you do as part of your preparation would be equally important and uh, the upside here is that races will be the most specific thing really that you can track and uh the downside is that you probably can't have as many data points on this kind i actually say that it would be the most specific thing but it kind of depends because you can have key workouts for an ironman or for a marathon that are more specific than a 5k race or a sprint distance race so so it's not necessarily always true but uh yeah ra- races can be very specific and and uh, and they can still help you determine where you're limited even if it's not specific to your main goal distance also it goes without saying but any testing that you do that is relevant towards your goals will be important to track so it might be critical power testing or critical speed testing or lactate testing or aerodynamic testing or running economy testing depending on what you have determined is the most important to you and that you want to improve you could also track process metrics if you think they are really important to you achieving your goals for example if you have performance goals and you know that you don't sleep enough then you can set a process goal to support your performance goal and that process goal would be to sleep at least seven hours every night and then it would make sense to track that uh, your sleep duration and that doesn't mean that you get, need to get a sensor just track when you it could even be tracking your actual habits which would be when do you go to bed because you can control that you can't always control when you fall asleep so so you can yeah there are many ways to uh to skin a cat here but uh, but in some in some cases it makes sense to 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 measure what only what you can control your input rather than the the output if you think that the input can be a a leading indicator and the output a lagging lagging indicator Uh, so in the end there are tens or even hundreds of things that we could track but i don't think that that's a good idea i think it comes back to what i already said before about analyzing the demands of the event with your specific goals in mind analyzing where you are now and then prioritizing what you need to work on next so it's a gap analysis and then you might have one to three things that are your main priorities in in a training block and you can assess whether you're making progress or not uh, either with testing pre and post that training block or some kind of simulation workout as i talked about pre and post or with are just uh, tracking your uh, performance in standardized workouts throughout the training block and then you either make the improvements you wanted to or maybe you didn't make the improvements and if you didn't then you can take further action from there uh, which could be to change the approach approach or if you did actually manage then you to To accomplish those goals and and get the improvements that you wanted then you can move on to the next one in your list of priorities if you succeeded basically do an updated gap analysis so so i guess in a way it's about for me at least with appropriate frequency carefully reviewing where you stand currently in relation to your goals and your event and make sure that you keep your prioritization objectives up to date that's probably uh, as important as any metric but yeah if, if there's one metric it would be performance in the key workouts that you will repeat frequently throughout the year next one what are the pros and cons of training for a marathon as a triathlete so i will answer this one from a season planning perspective uh, rather than as a training perspective directly Uh, i'm actually training for a marathon right now and for me Why I'm doing that is that I'm just enjoying running more than triathlon uh, right now, to be perfectly honest. Uh, As an athlete, I should say, not as a coach or as a fan of the sport, uh, but uh, as an athlete, I just found that I want to do something different for a little while. So so I'm focusing on a marathon right now. Uh, And I think that as an amateur triathlete you can never underestimate the importance of doing what you enjoy and keep things fun but i think where the question is coming from is in terms of whether it makes sense to do a marathon for triathlon performance purposes or alternatively how to plan your season so that a marathon does not negatively impact your triathlon performance and uh, the answer to me here is quite simple that as a triathlete you will not benefit from training for a marathon From a performance perspective, you don't see any any single triathlete at the top level doing this. Even if the run is your weakness, it still makes more sense to keep training as a triathlete, but just with greater emphasis on running. But you don't need to actually train for a marathon or run a marathon to do that. You should train for your triathlon goals if that is your what you are working towards. Triathlon goals, Uh, and then what you do within your triathlon training—that that is a different question. But but it's not about setting a goal that is. Uh, is somewhat somewhat related to wanting to improve your run but but really it's it's different it's just a different sport that triathlon so there is the also the huge downside that should be mentioned of training for a marathon of injury risk and this is news to nobody i'm sure that there is a much greater risk of injury through running than through cycling and swimming and uh, specifically training for a marathon with the volume that is required it exacerbates that risk and uh, if you're increasing your running volume in general compared to what you are used to doing as a fleet, then yeah that is going to be a big risk and potential downside however if you do want to work a marathon into your season plan then that is absolutely possible and for me the best way to do that is to finish your season with a marathon and i would say that eight to ten weeks after your last run of the season would be a good time to do that So if you finish your triathlon season at the end of September, you could do a marathon late November or early December. Around this part of the world, we have the Valencia Marathon the first weekend of December, which is a great example that uh, a lot of athletes, triathletes here like doing. And I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, If you want to do a marathon eight to 10 weeks after your last triathlon of the season, I would say take a week or so off after your last triathlon. Uh, if you had a long season anyway and then get into your marathon training refreshed and recovered Uh, you can still support or i think you should still support your marathon training with a little bit of cycling and swimming Uh, definitely don't run more than you can do safely without getting injured so for some athletes it might mean actually not changing your running volume too much from your triathlon running volume and uh, still doing quite a bit of cycling especially but also swimming to support those aerobic adaptations, for others it might mean just doing a little bit of cycling and swimming to make sure that you don't lose them completely while you focus mostly on the on the running and then after the marathon perhaps you take another short break or you might take a break around christmas time but the next month or so of training you can do very little running but focus on getting your bike and swim levels up again and just doing some maintenance running really uh, so so that's how i would structure the season in terms of working in a marathon uh, alongside triathlon goals The next question is, how do I know what's realistic to aim for? So I kind of already answered this in the first question, uh, which was around how to, yeah, how, let me reread the question, how to set goals for both time and results depend on outside factors. So you can go back and listen to that one but uh, let's do a quick review anyway so point one if you have done a particular race before then that sets a good benchmark for what you can do on that race course in similar conditions and at similar fitness take that as a starting point and work from there Uh, number two you can compare different courses by checking where you usually rank in the field. So for example, in the 50th percentile of your age group, and you can see what times are normally done at any given course by the 50th percentile finisher in your age group. Uh, point three weather is the factor that is the biggest unknown however in however in most cases if a race is in the same location at the same time of year the weather changes won't lead to massive time differences there are certainly exceptions but it doesn't happen that often that weather variations are so extreme that time differences become massive and point four the depth of the field or the competitiveness of the field is usually quite similar from year to year in the same event or in the same race so you can look at results from past years to get an idea of what the competitiveness will be if you have some kind of placement goals now in terms of what is realistic to aim for regarding improvements so let's say you know that okay i did this olympic distance race in three hours 15 minutes and uh, what should i aim for when i do it next year should i aim for sub three or should i aim for sub 230 well this will depend on a number of factors firstly how long have you been in the sport in other words how many untapped noob games do you still have Uh, second how much have you been training in the last year the less total training the more you could potentially improve because you are farther from your potential Uh, third how and how much are you going to train this year if you plan to increase the amount of training you do, if you plan to get a good training plan or a coach, then you can expect much more improvements. And if you don't plan to increase the amount of training you do, or if your training is poorly structured. And uh, number four, age. It is, of course, easier to improve more at a younger age. But that's not to say, I mean, I've seen athletes that are 65 plus improve quite a bit. So so I sh- I wouldn't worry too much about it. But bigger improvements do tend to come when you're younger. So it depends uh, on a lot of things. And uh, honestly, even for me, having coached a lot of athletes and having a big database of these improvements, my answer to this question, if a new athlete asks me, how much can I improve? I did this time last year. How much can I improve next year? My answer is I don't know because I genuinely don't Uh, even if I even if I have an awareness of all the factors that I listed above how how long they've been in the sport what they have done training wise last year what they are going to do next year but still it's impossible to predict Uh, the one thing that makes it a little bit easier to give an estimation is if I have already been working with the athlete for more than a year then all else being equal Maybe I know that while well, they improved their Olympic distance time by 30 minutes the first year, they probably have less low-hanging fruits to pick from this year, but maybe they can still improve by 15 or 20 minutes next year. But still, it's, it's shooting from the hip so much that I wouldn't really want to answer the question like that. But yeah, as a general principle when once you find that kind of rhythm in your training you get bigger gains earlier and and then you can still keep improving but the gains will be smaller as you get faster next question i am planning to do my first Xterra race this summer and that will be my a race for the year lucky for me there is a locally run race a local run race on the same course three weeks before the Xterra race though it's a little shorter in distance i am planning on doing the local run race both for fun and for a great training day and course recce i am wondering what the three weeks between the two races should look like should i peak for the first race and focus on recovery and sustaining fitness for the exterra or just peak for the exterra i usually taper for two weeks so i worry i won't build any fitness anyway if i spend a week recovering and then two weeks tapering so you kind of answer your own question when writing that you're doing the running race for fun and for a great training day. That tells you everything you need to know. That is not something that you should peak for. That is something that you should incorporate in your training. And I think that's a great thing to do, but you're peaking for the extra very clearly. Uh, then it comes to the question of how you do that. I think that if you need to recover for a week from that uh, 10K or so, 10K or shorter trail running race it probably doesn't actually make sense to do it or at least you should change your approach to it so maybe do it just as a an easy course recce or maybe five kilometers easy five kilometers at race effort but basically you want to be ready to train again the next day or at least at latest in three days or so after the race you should be totally fine to do a quality workout uh, if you do it that way so so i do think it makes sense to do the run race as a course trackie because that's always a good thing when we're talking about trail running but it's a question of how you do it because you don't want to lose a week of training for your main goal at that point three weeks out from the main goal if it's as a standard 10 kilometer trail run more or less i think that one to, one to three or four days of light training would be enough after. And uh, then that could give you another, let's say seven days, seven, eight days of really good training before starting to taper, which might start 10 to 12 days before the Xterra. I think that is a good duration. Uh, so yeah, of course you don't want to, you never want to go into something a bit overcooked, but if you assuming that you don't go into the taper period overcooked, then 10 to 12 days is more than enough to to make sure that you get, to a perfect level of freshness and fitness on race day for for a race the distance of an xterra maybe for a longer race like an ironman uh, you do want that full full 14 days of racing i i would i would probably do that prescribe that but uh, but i would say that for this race 10 to 12 days, days is fine so you can you can easily get another seven eight even nine days of really good training between that recovering from that running race and starting the taper proper for the xterra And the final question comes here. I've been mainly competing at the 7.3 distance, but now I'm racing Ironman Vittoria on July 16th. My question is, what is your view on racing Kona in October if I potentially qualified? Would it be too soon, especially given that this is my first attempt at the full distance? Uh, She also writes here in the question that she has successfully completed a training for an Ironman once before, but got COVID so couldn't race. Uh, Then the question continues, I find it hard to plan the season around a potential qualification, so I wanted to at least understand from a coaching perspective how this time frame would work in your view. So I think that it would be perfectly fine to do uh, Kona in October after Ironman Vittorio Gasteis in July, July 16th. It's uh, three months pretty much between the races, so that is a long time if you arrive at the start line of your first race fit and fresh. The big potential issue that I see happening in these situations is that you train too hard and you're in too deep a hole for that first race and you might still be fine with some taper to do a good race in that first race but then it just takes so long to recover after that first race that suddenly those 12 weeks or three months that you have it's not that long anymore because you'll need at least four weeks of not doing much at all after that first race and and maybe more than four weeks before you can start training normally again so so I would say this is the big potential pitfall that you should uh, try to avoid to be too deep into a hole when you, when you are on the start line for the first race. And as, as, assuming that you can manage that, then you will be perfectly fine to do Kona three months later. As a general perspective, I agree that it's hard to plan around a potential qualification that you don't know if it will happen. But I think it's mostly logistically for flights and hotels and especially for something like Kona, obviously. But in terms of training, it really isn't that bad. If anything, I think the qualification race can serve as a great data point for where exactly you are now and what that means for training and prioritization of objectives into the championship event. And I talked about before about how in the past i have used or tried to use some really nice and exciting yearly periodization structures where the theme of each week of the year is planned well in advance and without exception this has never worked so i stopped doing that quite quickly and and approach things much more flexibly now uh, as i've been talking about here for example with reviewing where you are related to your goals and then taking that as the end point of one block and starting point of the next block and, and and then always making sure that you have up-to-date priorities and objectives that you're working towards. Also, as a final point on this question, it's worth noting that the vast majority of athletes that will participate in kona this year have not yet qualified because there have only been a handful of qualifying races at the end of 2022 so so this situation of of uh, working towards a potential qualification is something that the the large majority of kona qualifiers have to deal with not just this year but any year Uh, they they are going for qualification in the same year as the world championship race whether it's kona or something else Uh, but they don't know there's no way of knowing if they will qualify for it with any certainty so it's again logistically there are issues with this i definitely see that but in terms of from a sporting perspective from a training perspective it's not that problematic and it's definitely something that and it's also fair because people are in the same boat that way Um, but i hope that this helps and uh, yeah that you manage to qualify for kona There you have it. I hope that you enjoyed this Q&A. As I said, I will do another one in February and that one will be on swim training. Uh, So you can email your questions to me already if you have questions on that topic. And as I said, do give us a follow on Instagram and the Scientific Triathlon newsletter if you want to get informed every time I put out a request for questions for the podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode on scientifictriathlon.com. There won't be any specific links, I don't think, but uh, remember that we have the Q&A episode archive, I might link to that, with all of the past Q&As that I did for a long time, so there are a lot lot of them, and you can find some really interesting topics there if you want to have a listen to those. Uh, I want to mention uh, again today that we still have some slots available for our Mallorca training camp that's coming up fairly soon now on the 25th of March. It is a one-week training camp where you get the chance to train in a training paradise for a week. You get to enjoy the company of a bunch of like-minded athletes from all around the world. And of course, you get to meet the Scientific Triathlon coaching team and get coached by us and chat with us about training and racing, both as part of workshops, but even more importantly, throughout the week as part of bike rides, sitting at the dinner table and so on check out all the information on our website and email me if you have any questions or want to register and big thanks to our sponsors form that you can find on formswim.com forward slash tts improve your swim training with real-time metrics like pace stroke rate and heart rate and advanced post-swim analysis use the code tts15 to get 15% off the form smart swim goggles and thank you to Senate. Use the Senate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and swim training consistency. You can try the Senate risk free for up to 30 days and get a special Senate and TTS bundle, including the Swim Trainer and a number of Senate training plans and on demand workouts on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.